a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get moving with Maria. Inspiration to spend a few minutes each day to get moving on the small things that can make a big difference in your life. Thank you for joining us today for Let's Get Moving. With me is Dr. Liz Hale. She is a marriage and family therapist. And today we're, we're talking about what to do when your child comes out. And Dr. Liz, this, this is such a difficult topic. It is difficult for the child. It is difficult for the parent. And, and let's talk about why that is. Oh, it is. It is. And, you know, for every dispensation of time, Maria, there there have been these disparities, right, and differences among us. And I think the lesson is for all of us. It's not that there's something broken. It's it's, we have something to learn from each other here. You know, there was a really tender YouTube video. I'm not sure if you saw it. Um, Ellen DeGeneres even interviewed these two young boys. They, uh, I think they're models and they're twins. They did a YouTube video of calling their father to announce to their father, this kind of rough, tough, blue-collar guy, that they were both gay. And you see them and the, the anguish in their faces and the tears, and they just paused and they took their time. And finally they announced, Dad, look, you know, I'm gay and Austin's gay. And they just sobbed and... And they said something like, you know, we just want to, we, we need to know that you still love us. And then you can hear the father gruffly say, stop, stop it. You know, of course I love you. This, this isn't easy, obviously, but of course I love you. That's all these boys needed to hear is that they were still loved among their differences. Right. And then what happened after that initial conversation? You know, and then Ellen brought the mom, which I thought was kind of sweet, the boys, twins and their father and, uh, you know, he, he said, you know, we're closer now. Now that this secret, this wedge, which that's really what secrets do, the things we're afraid to tell each other, they become these wedges and barriers. Now that that barrier is not there, we're closer, we're connected, we have more open dialogue. And it's been a really beautiful way to connect for them. Why children need to tell their parents is because they want connection, not chasms. It is such a difficult subject. It is difficult for a child to tell a parent, especially when they know that their parents have certain expectations, whether they be religious expectations. Yes. So what is the best mindset for both the parent and the child in this type of discussion? Right. It's it's probably just honesty. And it's not a one-and-done conversation. You want to continue to keep that conduit of of connecting and listening open long-term. And there's different life life, what life um, steps to go through, um, different things, and your conversations are going to change, a parent needs to get support as well. I think we have a really great group of resources here in Utah, Maria, and maybe we can somehow provide those to our listeners. But don't do this alone. Find other parents where you can refill and refuel so you can go back to your child and listen and try to understand and really get it from their perspective. 
So what happens when a parent hears their, this message and they're not expecting it? Yeah, yeah, first off, it's just a tremendous shock, right? Their whole world is turned upside down, and I get that. And that's probably one of the very first things um, is, you know, after love, I have kind of these L's. So there's love, and then there's to look. Look for, look for signs in your child. Look to see if they're withdrawing suddenly, right, in their room. Or look to see if um, they're pulling away from friends and, from friends and family or even if their style and dress is changing. You know, one wise mother came to her child and said, you know, does how you feel in here, and she pointed to the heart, um, match how you feel out here? And she pointed to her clothing, you know, exterior. And the child was able to say no. And that began a new conversation. So love and look. Look to see for those signs. I know it's not easy to. Right. So before having a conversation that's so unexpected, if you're having these conversations along the way, yes, it makes a huge difference. It does. And especially if you have young young children. Because, you know, among us, Maria, we have LGBTQ members of society and our family and our churches and synagogues who are just that, but we don't know it yet. They sit among us, right? They hide behind white shirts and ties, if you will. Um, and, and not only that, but the second most important point, I feel, is that we have to be keenly aware that in the same sacred spaces and places that some of us, many of us, feel safe and secure, our friends and family who are LGBTQ, they feel terrified and hopeless. It is just not the same. We need to understand and we need to, I think, really learn from each other. So talk a minute about religion and how a parent can make these two concepts go together. And boy, they are not easy because talk about two different elements of self-identity. There's sexual identity and religious identity, right? Right. And I don't... this isn't just for the parent. I'm just trying to imagine on the part of the child. Yes, for both. And I think for many parents, they make peace with that spiritual ambiguity. Other people, they have to choose one or the other, it seems. There is no right or wrong, and everyone is somewhere along this continuum. I have a very dear college friend, this tall, gorgeous gal, and she would love nothing more than to have a relationship with a woman and embrace her LDS faith. She's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She would love to love a woman and go to the temple every week. And all I can do is sit and listen and try to imagine what that's like for her. Oh, very sad. I can't imagine what it's like to be lesbian or bisexual. I can't imagine, however, what it's like to feel frustrated when you don't have someone in your life to love. And when things don't work out or when you feel that you don't belong, I can relate to that. But all we can do is really try to hear each other and try to imagine the pain of that. I was listening to Richard Osler. I don't know if you know him. He's an ally in our community for LGBTQ, and he was a former uh, YSA bishop in the LDS faith. And he, um, his heart really goes out to this, to this particular group and where they might fit in and how often they feel like they don't. I heard his presentation, uh, Love, Live, Learn. That's probably why I got these great L's, but I couldn't think of any way to replace them. They're so good. Um, but I heard something there that I will never forget. I walked out differently from that presentation because of this. He was talking about a young man who's LDS, gay, single, and he was making the comparison to his single sister, who is also LDS. And he said, you know, my sister and her friends, they can go out and they can date and they can hold hands and they can kiss and cuddle and everyone can say, oh, aren't they so cute and isn't that adorable? He goes, but me, I can't do that. No one's going to think it's adorable for me to go out and kiss and cuddle and hold hands. It's not the same. 
my heart broke for him. I never thought about it that way. That in some of our Christian faiths, uh, there is this expectation, as it seems, it appears, of celibacy. And that would be a very lonely road. So I get this juxtaposition between self-identity and religious identity. It is what it is. And I think we just need to make room for all of us. Talk for a minute about parental expectations. Um, we, I don't know. I'm sure we get it from our parents. I'm sure it's gener- generational. But we see our lives going down a certain road. And then what happens when things really aren't going in any way we could have seen coming? Right, because none of us know, right? For those who are parents, we don't know if a child might announce they're gay. They're going to marry someone of a different race. That might be difficult for some. They're going to leave the family religion. That is all difficult. It seems to me that parents will do well if they can keep this philosophy, this idea of, okay, child, you're here now. Show me who you are. <laughs> you know, tell me who you are. Show me. And I'm going to guide and... and um you know, um, help a little bit, but but really show me who you are. My uh, one cousin, um, she came out to her mom. This has been like 20, 25 years ago, and she still remembers the very day this happened, right? They were walking on an old dirt road in Wyoming, and they were chit-chatting, and she could smell the fresh-cut grass and hear kids playing in the background on a diamond baseball field. And she said, just finally, Mom, I got to tell you something. I'm gay. And my aunt B stopped and she said, um, uh, oh, I, I don't even know what to say. I think her first thing was, are you, are you sexually active? <laughs> you know, as if that was, everyone wants to know that, right? Um, our poor LGBTQ, people are so curious about their sex lives. And we ask them questions we wouldn't even think to ask heterosexual straight people. So she said, well, yeah. And, and then Trude went on to say, but mom, you know, I'm the same person. I'm still me, Trude. And it's not like I committed murder or anything. And my aunt sadly said, well, I think it would have been, have been better if you had. Oh. And that's where that conversation devastating. Stopped. That yeah. is just devastating. So even though they went on to repair, my aunt made a 360 in a year's time, bless her wow. soul. And that really healed my cousin Trude. Um, you know, you never forget. You never forget that initial coming out story that the parent never forgets and the child never forgets. It's crucial. And if you can prepare a bit, boy, all the better. Right. So I think your message is so much bigger than just two parents because we have it friends. to all of us. We have relatives that, you know, can just really benefit from this lesson. So I'd like you to go back to your first L of listen. What? Right. How do you handle it when you first are hearing information that, that might even be painful to you. Right. So, so love, look, and listen. I, I, love, I love that one, too. Um, listening really involves just that. You listen, and you listen, and you listen some more. And ask poignant questions. I got some of these questions from a doc- Dr. Lisa Hansen, who has probably interviewed more LGBTQ plus individuals than any of us therapists put together here in Utah, Um, But she had suggested, you know, to even ask, like, when did you first become aware of feeling this way? And uh, what were you afraid to, um, what were you afraid would be my reaction when you told me? Who are you most afraid will find out? What's been the hardest thing about this for you? And what's been maybe surprisingly the easiest thing about this for you? Who else do you suspect in your life that might be gay? Um, And keep those conversations going. I've heard... 
family members say time and time again, I wish my my siblings and my best friends would ask me about my gay son. I wish they'd ask me more questions and not just pretend it isn't happening, not just pretend he doesn't have these feelings and these conflicts of, of religion and sexual identity, for instance. Well, that's hard because as a friend, I wouldn't know what to do. So it's good to have this conversation. You know, it's good to know that they want you to talk to them about even, it. Even if you say, I don't know what to do, will you teach me? Will you help me? In my unknowing ways, will you please forgive me ahead of time? And will you help me and instruct me? Tell me what you need. Let's let's talk about the things that you really want me to know. And again, that's why we have to start from Guide the basis me. of love. Always love. Right. There can never be enough of it. Right. And then, obviously, you were talking about when we're asking these questions, we all have so much to learn. And each individual is going to be so different in how they respond to some of these questions. Well, that is true. You know, even two gay men are very different. Let's say that um, I've heard one gay man say, look, do you think I would I would want this? Do you think I, um, I, I really will this on myself? I would never ask for this. In comparison to another gay man who says, wow, if I had a magic button that I could push to take this away, I wouldn't want to push it. Because I really like who I am. I like the sensitivity and my vulnerability. I like being able to better read social, social cues and um, my, creative, my creativity or whatever else they attribute that, that um, gender identity to. I like myself. So it's very different. No two people are the same. Right. And then how do we go about living our lives in the best way possible? And that, that's really an important L to Maria. Um, everyone wants to be heard, loved, and understood. You know, be be willing to say to someone who's different than you are, you know, um, life is so much better. My life is so much better with you, with you in it because you're teaching me how to open up my heart and my mind and my understanding. You're helping me be a better person. We need, we need our, our differences and our diversity. None of us are perfect people. We never will be. But I think we can learn to love more perfectly. Um, my One of my dear friends, Annie, I think said it best. She sent me a text. She said, you know, my biggest job in this life is to keep my daughter, Phoebe, who I also love and adore, um, to keep her alive, to keep her here on this earth with me, um, to protect her from rejection and suicide. That will have been her success if she can do that. And I think it's a responsibility for every single one of us to do that, to wrap our arms, our, our hearts, and our love around individuals who are LGBTQ+. We don't necessarily have to understand it. I don't know that we can fully. I think we have to be respectful in that. You just have to teach me, um, and I want to hear. I want to hear your story. I think if we can, as communities, church members, family members, friends, if we can embrace the most marginalized among us, those that are on the fringes, I think we make it even safer for the rest of us who have problems and things that we're ashamed by, you know, divorce or addiction, adultery, whatever it might be. It makes it better for everyone if we can all embrace each other. You know, we used to have reparative therapy, right? Conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. Where we would try to change someone's homosexual tendencies. That was a that didn't work. But I, I think we need reparative therapy of a different kind. I think we need to reach out to people who are different than we are, to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. And I think I think individuals who identify as LGBTQ plus also 
need to find ways to connect with the rest of us as well. I think it goes both directions. We need to be reparative with each other. Dr. Liz, thank you for sharing your perspective on such an important topic. My pleasure.